Pirate of the Misery Machine. I'm Yergi. And I'm Drewby. And over the past month, we've gotten just about 50 emails and tons of comments asking us to revisit Delphi. And not Delphi specifically, but all of these crazy cases that have been happening around Indiana. And not just that, we have other things we need to touch on involving the Delphi case. There's been a lot of web sleuths handling this case in ways they shouldn't be. So we're gonna to touch on that. We're gonna to touch on the cases that you brought to our attention and we're gonna to respond to some of your comments here. Yeah, the comments really have been great. We love this. We have never really done an episode like this because we've never gotten really this much response on an episode. So if you'd like to see more episodes like this. Or if you just wanna give your episode suggestions, yeah. this is all happening because of you guys. Yes. So leave something below in the comments. And if you are listening on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. I think by the time this comes out, we'll be at 8,700 subscribers. So thank you everyone thank you so for the support so far. It means the world to us. Without further ado. What is going on in Indiana right now? So it's clear after our Delphi update episode around the new person of interest, James Brian Chadwell, this is really important to a lot of people. And you have made that very clear to us. And we thank you so much for caring about Abby and Libby and keeping their case out in the spotlight. It is clear that the deaths of these young girls have touched the lives of tens of thousands of people that want nothing more than to see their case solved and the monsters that caused their untimely deaths brought to justice. This has been highly requested over the past month, and we're not going to ignore that any longer. So let's touch on the most common things that you, the listener, have brought to our attention regarding the case. And then we'll talk about how we will be handling the case going forward, because I'm sure this isn't the last episode we'll be doing. I mean, I hope it's not the last episode because I definitely want this case to be solved. And then we'll finish with making our plea to the many web sleuths out there that desperately want to see this case solved and what they've been doing in regards to that lately. So the most talked about topic from the previous Delphi episode by far is the drama regarding the tattoo. So James Brian Chadwell has a tattoo on his right inner forearm that allegedly looks like Libby German. It is a tattoo of a young girl who is smiling and has blood coming out of her eyes. I'm sure everybody at this point has seen a picture of that tattoo. So although the tattoo bears a strong similarity to a readily available photo of Libby smiling, and I can see it from the nose down... One key piece of information should be noted that keeps getting left out. So according to a post on the subreddit, Abby and Libby, as well as Chadwell's own Facebook page that is still up, you can look this up under Brian Chadwell. Yeah, it took us a bit to find it, but people have linked us, a few people mm -hmm. linked us the Facebook the in question. So thank you for that. Yeah, the aforementioned tattoo can be seen on his arm as early as March 12th, 2016. That is a year prior to the deaths of Abby and Libby. So there's also a rumor that Shadwell has another tattoo that allegedly looks like Abby Williams. However, the tattoo in question is simply a different angle of this same tattoo. Many Redditors have alternative theories about the tattoo. Some claim it's a poorly drawn rendition of Linda Blair in The Exorcist. Others believe it was a piece of flash that Chadwell might have found on the wall at a tattoo studio. And if you've been in any tattoo studio, you'll see that there's things similar to this up on the walls. 
I personally think this is a stretch. I do see the similarities, but as we'll get to later in the episode, just because a drawing looks like somebody doesn't mean it is actually them. What would be really helpful here is if Chadwell's tattoo artist came forward to clear up the controversy once and for all, but as of now, the name of his artist is not known. And if anybody knows that, please send us an email or leave a comment in the comment section because I would really like to talk to this person. So I think that we can all agree that even if Chadwell isn't our guy, and I don't think he is... The world is a much better place with him off the streets. And as his family so eloquently put this, with the key thrown away. Let's pretend that he's not convicted of Abby and Libby's murder, which I don't think he's responsible. No. He's, for what he's done, he's probably going to get life or close to it. And that's wonderful. That's very wonderful. Because he's disgusting. Yes. It's important to note, though, that we all want this case solved as soon as possible, and it's crucial not to jump to conclusions on a suspect, as the pressure to do so could lead the books to being closed on the incorrect person, and we know that all too well here in Maine. So we've had a couple of cases local to us in the Lewiston-Auburn area that we have found that police after having a lot of pressure put on them, would find a good enough suspect and then build the case and evidence around them rather than the evidence and the case leading to the suspect. And that's something that could easily happen with the amount of pressure that's being put on the police departments and authorities in the Delphi and Tippecanoe and Clark counties. It wouldn't be the first time that they did something like this. And we will touch on that towards the end of the episode or the middle of the episode. There's one person in particular that due to pressure from the community, they were kind of made an example out of. Right. We'll, We'll get to that though. So why do we bring this up? Well, I haven't seen this firsthand because I'm not a part of these Facebook groups. Many people have brought to our attention the fact that certain web sleuths have been going on social media and posting side-by-side comparisons of the police sketch with random people from the Delphi area purely because they believe they look like the sketch. Not only are they doing this, but they are doxing these people. And if you don't know what doxing is, basically people are gathering private details about these people, including their place of residence, place of work, known family members, phone numbers, and posting it on social media alongside these sketches while labeling the person in question as a suspect in the Delphi murders, despite the police never naming them as such. If this wasn't bad enough, people are going the extra step to harass Libby German's sister with these theories as if she's not going through enough already. This is just, this is just It's ridiculous. I mean, as you saw from our previous episode, a lot of people look like the sketch. I even kind of look like one of the sketches. I think Yergi said that on the very first episode we ever did about this. That you look like one of the sketches, yes. Yeah, based on that, should I be considered a suspect for the Delphi murders? I mean, I don't care if everyone wants to do this to people like Chadwell, who's clearly a child predator, because in my opinion, he's lost his humanity the moment he assaulted a child but think about the long-term ramifications on a random person that you think looks like the sketch they get thrust into the spotlight about something they very well have nothing to do with and the internet is so rabid about the delphi case right now that they'll jump on just about any person possible then that person will forever have their name connected to the delphi case despite having nothing to do with it 
forever, if they are searched on the internet, their name could come up with the case. That could potentially ruin job applications, dating prospects, or anything involving a public-facing position. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about people like Chadwell here. I'm specifically talking about random people that are speculated to be the killer purely based on a sketch comparison. Yes, this is not the folks that had been previously named suspects in the past. In the last episode, in our original episode, we already like named these folks that are either dead now or are doing time. These are random people from the community that folks are going after. Who have no criminal background, don't fit the profile or anything like that. They're just like, hey, this guy looks like the sketch. I bet it's him. Here's his name. Here's his address. Here's right. where he works. Right. This is not helpful. It is actually quite the opposite of helpful. And it's actually pretty evil to do to someone. These people that so carelessly make these public accusations against innocent people are more concerned about being the ones to be credited with solving the case than anything else. The police and the families of Abby and Libby have urged people to stop doing this. If you truly want to help out in solving the case, send any information you have to the Libby and Abby tip lines. We'll have those numbers in the email address on the screen in YouTube and in the descriptions for all of our other platforms. And as of this time of recording, the reward for information leading to the capture of the killer is at $325,000. So please, instead of posting on social media, send your information to that tip and you might ask, well, why did you cover Chadwell? Well, we covered Chadwell for two reasons. One, because he was an unofficial person of interest. Carroll County Sheriff Tobe Lesenby specifically stated that they were looking into him. And they don't often name that they're doing that to people unless they're people of interest. Some people have sources saying that he was an official person of interest, but I don't think he was an official person of interest. But he was being looked into by the sheriff's department, and they publicly stated that. Two, we covered Chadwell because we wanted to cool everyone down on the internet that was jumping to conclusions to say that he's the killer. We said we don't think it's him, and we explained why in our previous episode we don't think it's him. He's an absolute monster, and and hopefully he will spend the rest of his life behind bars for what he did to a young child. But I do not think it's likely that he's the killer. No, he specifically had stated that the only link was when the victim was a child in the relative proximity between Delphi and Lafayette. And he fit the profile. Right. If you just ignore the sketch, and yes, he does kind of look like it. But he, but he fits the profile. But I don't think he's the killer. I truly don't think he is. And... You know, if this isn't enough and you want an example of an innocent person whose life was ruined by Delphi accusations, look no further than Ron Logan. Ron Logan was a person who, in 2017, at the beginning of this case, had his name blasted across social media, labeling him as the killer. People's justification? Because he owned the land where Abby and Libby were found on. He's owned it for over 50 years. This piece of land is not some small lot. It's a 40-acre lot. And while I'm sure it's protocol to investigate the landowner in cases like this, the police have stated multiple times he's neither a suspect nor a person of interest. The other justification for people slandering Ron Logan? Because he has a drunk driving charge. I'm not kidding. The media helped facilitate this atrocity. Try searching Ron Logan Delphi and see what comes up. 
The vast majority of articles are written in a way to make it look like Ron has some sort of connection to these murders, and the drunk driving charge shows his connection to that. In reality, he had a DUI conviction in 2014 and was found to be a habitual traffic offender. He was still on probation on the day that Abby and Libby were found, and he was found to have violated probation by driving to a county transfer station the day Abby and Libby were murdered. And now if you think this is suspicious... It's really not. I guarantee you this isn't the first time he's driven to this transfer station with a suspended license. When you have an older man who likely lives alone, you don't have many options in a rural town to get your trash to the dump, so you drive illegally. This happens around here. He further violated his parole by driving to a local restaurant and having a beer there. And yes, you know, did he break the law? Of course he did. Did he violate his probation? Of course he did. That doesn't make him a killer. And I, I need to be clear here. These violations of probation were not discovered by police due to a traffic stop. He was not caught in the act. Instead, he fully admitted to it in order to aid law enforcement in the investigation by giving them a completely accurate account of his whereabouts. Had he kept that information to himself, he likely never would have had the charge he's facing now or the media spotlight on him. Four weeks later, the police decided to raid his home because they were running out of options and due to pressure from the public further thrust him into the media spotlight. And you can see what I mean if you just search his name and see these pictures it's, of him. It's ridiculous. They have him in an orange jumpsuit talking about his charge. His which ankle chains on. Ankle chains. It's ridiculous. And then they just start talking about Abby and Libby. It's ridiculous. It's phrased very, very inappropriately. And as far as his charges for violating parole, he was looking to face up to four and a half years. Was eventually sentenced to three and a half years in prison. Served one year of it behind bars and is, last I knew, now serving his remaining time under home detention. This would be considered a heavy-handed punishment here in Maine where Yergi and I have known some repeat offenders who barely did a weekend in jail but got hefty fines. It could be argued that Maine is easy on drunk drivers, so if you're from Indiana, please let us know in the comments if Ron's sentence was typical or not, but he's always going to have his name associated with this right. case, unfortunately. his I, I would estimate his life is ruined from this. I would and, say so. And it's just, it's terrible to think that these two girls were discovered on your property and to think something like that, you know, happened in your backyard, so to speak, and then to have your name attached to it like this when you're innocent, it's really, really tragic. So please stop doing this to random people. If you truly believe somebody is a suspect in this case, send the information to the tip line, okay? You don't need to put it on social media for the police to do something. And hey, if you're right, you could get over a quarter million dollars for it. So please. So with that out of the way, we've had countless numbers of listeners that have been really great with providing us updates on the case, as well as some other things that have been happening around the Clark and Tippecanoe counties. I said it right, I think, this time. I believe earlier I said Tippecanoe, and someone's definitely going to call me out, but Tippecanoe sounds fun. I mean, I've heard it pronounced both ways on Indiana News, so I don't know. I think somebody left us a comment saying you can say it both ways and it's correct. I think Tippecanoe sounds fun. So anyway... <laughs> There seems to be a common trend regarding violence against women and children and violent crime in general statewide right now. The request for us to focus more on the surrounding area and do another episode has been staggering. And I have to admit, when researching the surrounding area and these other cases that you all have sent us, it really seems like there's some crazy things happening in this area. Here are some of those cases we have found or have been sent to us by listeners. So recently... 
21-year-old Cohen Bennett Hans Barron escaped electronic monitoring after being transferred to Tippecanoe County Community Corrections on a robbery conviction in Stark County. He was living at a local recovery house, Home with Hope, whilst wearing an ankle bracelet. The executive director of Tippecanoe County Community Corrections, Jason Huber, stated that Hans Barron cut off the device and escaped on April 19, 2021. After the agency tried unsuccessfully to locate him, Stark County issued an arrest warrant. More than a month later, the bodies of three children and a woman were discovered in a Fort Wayne home. Officers found 26-year-old Sarah Zent's body kneeling next to her children, who were face down on a bed. All of them had multiple stab wounds to their necks. So think about that for a second. You have a mom who has knelt over her dying children. And dying herself. And dying herself. And just holding her children one last moment of comfort while they're all dying. It's just so sad to think about like that. Surveillance footage shows Hans Barron leaving the Fort Wayne home on the 2900 block of Gay Street in the early hours of June 2nd, 2021, where the bodies of the deceased were found later that morning. When police arrived on the scene, they located a man and a woman yelling, he killed them, they're dead. It's alleged that Hans Barron and Sarah Zent were in a relationship. Hans Barron went to his mother's home in Fort Wayne, Indiana, arriving about 6.15 in the morning. His mother told police that she hadn't seen her son in two years prior to this, and he called at about 12.30 a.m. to wish her a happy birthday. When he showed up at her house about six hours later, he was, according to her, talking and acting crazy. He said he'd been shot in the stomach and asked for duct tape and money. In turn, his mother told him to leave. Fort Wayne Police informs Lafayette Police that the suspect might be in the Romney Meadows in a stolen pickup truck, claiming that they had tracked Hans Barron via digital intelligence in Romney Meadows' apartment complex. A steady stream of police and unmarked vehicles began arriving in Lafayette at about 1.30 in the afternoon. Some vehicles staged near the apartment complex on Lafayette's southwest side, while others patrolled the area around the complex. Indiana State Police emergency response teams stormed the apartment at the 500 block of Gordon Court at about 4.45 in the evening. Inside, they arrested Hans Barron, who had a knife stained with blood on the blade. Police did not find any indication that he had been shot, but he did have scratch marks to his hand, neck, and jaw consistent with fingernail wounds. Hans Barron claimed that he received the injuries from police allegedly standing on his neck. However, reporters on the scene have stated that no officer was seen mishandling the suspect. The story is still currently developing, and we're hoping to have more information at a later date as the story unfolds. This was literally just sent to us yeah. just a few days ago. If you think that's bad, which it's horrific, we have another similar story. So just last month in Peru, Indiana, which is about one hour northeast of Lafayette via the Hoosier Heartland Highway, a 25-year-old man by the name of Mitchell Page entered the trailer court home of his child's mother, 26-year-old Jessica Sizemore, and shot her, her fiancé, 37-year-old Jesse Hall, and Sizemore and Hall's four-year-old daughter, Ray Lynn Sizemore, to death with a 9mm handgun. The six-year-old daughter that Paige shared with the Sizemore was not home at the time of the shooting. There was, however, a survivor of this barbaric act of violence. The late couple's two-year-old son, Josiah, was found sitting with the bodies of his mother, father, and sister for five days, according to police. Paige was arrested on three counts of murder and was apprehended at a relative's home in Lafayette. 
This case is also developing at this time, and it's scary to think that a triple and quadruple homicide would occur just weeks apart in two areas of Indiana that are relatively close together, all things considered. So what is happening in Indiana to cause all of the violent crime and mass killings, specifically those who have been targeting small children this year? Some sources have cited the pandemic, but I'm not sure that's entirely factual. Other sources have stated that violent crime rates in Indiana are no different than many other Midwestern states. If this is correct, then why do we hear about violent crimes in Indiana with more frequency outside of the general area? Has the internet transformed Indiana into the new Florida in terms of negative news? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this and how these statistics compare with violent crimes in your area. And the big reason why we did this is because we had so many listeners say, hey, there are a lot of crazy crimes, a lot of crazy things that happen around here. And these were two cases we were sent very recently. And I know some of these crimes are happening in more rural areas. And, you know, I don't really hear about many rural areas experience these kinds of things. I mean, yes, you know, here in Maine, when we have violent crime, sometimes it tends to go unnoticed. But if it was this over the top, it would be all front page, every news, local news source for weeks. There's only one that I know of. And that's the Christian Nielsen case that we yeah. covered several weeks back. And that happens in a rural area, happens in, in Nori, which is a mountain resort town. Middle of nowhere. Middle really. of nowhere, really, yeah. And we've never really heard of anything this I, wild I, I, after I'm that. I'm pretty sure it's the only mass spree killing in Maine's history. And that when it happened, it was huge. The thing that things happen here like that, and they happen with some frequency, I'm just curious what's going on. And we want to talk to more locals from the area. We've already talked to a few. I want to try to understand what's going on here a little bit more. So please like keep these coming, keep the comments coming. If you're from Indiana, say where you're from and just help us paint the picture better here. As far as these Indiana cases, I'm sure we'll be doing more soon. So if you're listening on YouTube and you appreciate this episode, please hit like and subscribe. It is the easiest way to help us grow as a podcast and as a channel, and it doesn't cost you anything. We're loving all the comments in the comment section. We love hearing where our listeners are from. Quite humbled to have an international fan base, and it makes our day to hear where people are listening from. So if you could take the time to leave us a comment, we would love that. If you're listening on the other platforms, if you have the ability to leave a five-star written review, you can let us know where you're from there as well. We also have a very wonderful group of people who decided to go that extra step to become our Patreon subscribers. So let's thank those people now. Yes. So thank you, Eddie, Rowan, Marky, Holly, Ashley, Vu, Serena, Chloe, Mark, Tara, Sophie, Karen with an EA, Neil and Karen, Dave and Karina, Dakota and Kitty, Jen, Mo, Jenny, Nora, Robin, Tom, Kaylee, Alex, Jacob, Victoria, Bailey, Stephen C, Asia, Casey, Amanda, Patricia, Alexis, Corrine, welcome, Sarah. Welcome. Welcome, Sarah. And Levi. And Levi, our highest tier Patreon supporter. There's his lovely picture right now. And if you too want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the misery machine, you get access to all of our secret episodes, which we'll be recording one very soon here. You get access to all of our secret Discord and Snapchat groups, and you may even get a postcard. A haunted postcard. And if Patreon's not a thing for you and you'd rather just do a one-time gift because you liked what we made, I have set up buy us a coffee. Link is in the description. Yes. But until next week, keep all of those episode suggestions and the messages coming. We write all of the suggestions down that we get. So please keep those coming. And remember, we love you. We love you. 
Bye. Bye.